This week we're going to continue where we left off last week. Um, and how many of you were not here last week? Oh, that was quite a few of you. Okay. Um, so we're really starting from, from James 4.8 where he says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, O you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And this, this drawing near that we do with the Lord, it's, it's not a one-to-one thing. It's in the same way that, that in the story of the prodigal, the father, just seeing his son far off as he's walking back, comes running out from the house. That as we take one little step closer to God, he comes running a whole mile closer to us. And this process of getting closer and getting closer and getting closer, it's, a, it's the process of sanctification. We're becoming more holy and more holy and more holy. We look more and more and more like Jesus. And last week I covered what it looks like to have clean hands. That it, that, that means that we're not living in sin. That we repent of sin, but we don't take on the identity of sin. And when last week I shared about how um, I was looking for an example for this, and the Lord gave me a picture of Connor, my son. And Connor was coming into the house, and he had dirt all over him. And it's the same way that we come to the Father. We come to him, and we have, we have dirt all over us. And there's a, a religious spirit that says, well, you're dirty, you're always going to be dirty, you're never going to be clean. And tries to get us to identify through the dirt. And then there's a false grace message on the other side that says, well, you don't need to get clean. You're clean as you are. You're already clean. That dirt isn't really real. But in the middle is the truth that that underneath the dirt, we're holy, we're clean, we're pure. And that God wants us to be clean. He wants us to see ourselves the way that he sees us, that He's not calling wickedness good in the way that that false grace message does. It says that that sin is okay. And he's not um, condemning us in the way that the religious spirit does and getting us to identify through sin and feel like we're never going to be free. That, that, when, that when we come to the Father, he says, I see this dirt, I see this stuff, this place where there's an impurity, and that's not who you are. I can see that it's hindering you from from being who I created you to be. We need to repent of it and get rid of it. That if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we're cleansed of all unrighteousness, the thing that's left is righteousness. And this this actually wasn't a New Testament concept. In, In the Old Testament, when they come to the temple, first... They have the sacrifice. There's the blood that cleanses, and then they wash their hands. There's a sacrifice, but it's just the beginning. This is just the beginning of getting to the Holy of Holies. It's just the beginning of approaching God and getting more and more holy. That when, that when we get baptized in water, when we go under the water, we are participating in the death and the resurrection of Christ. That that old nature, the old self, the thing that we became through the fall of man, dies. And that when we come up, we are now new creations in Christ. And a new creation doesn't just mean, even though our bodies look the same, new creation as in new species. We are entirely new beings. If, 
If God said, I'm going to put a new creation on the altar right now, I, I wouldn't, or on the stage right now, I wouldn't expect to see a dog. It's a new creation. It's a new animal. In the same way, spiritually, we are now new creations in Christ. That we go under the water as one thing and we come up as something totally different and totally new. So now we're walking this thing out. We've now been born again, born into a new creation reality. So we're walking this out, and in the process, we have to be able to say, okay, this is a place where I'm not walking. I, I sinned, and, and just to be clear, sin is not the promise. We're not promised to sin. If you sin, if, not when you sin, if you sin, you have an advocate. If you sin, Jesus is your mediator. If you sin, you can call on the name of Jesus. The blood of Jesus will clean you of all unrighteousness. But it doesn't mean that you have to walk in sin. It doesn't mean that it's not a promise. And, and I don't agree with, with a lot of these messages that say you're always going to sin. Because it's not scriptural. In fact, in John, he says, I say these things so that you wouldn't sin. He's giving instruction for how to walk in holiness. So we don't identify through our sin. That's not who we are. We start to see ourselves the way that God sees us. And the world will try to put a different label on you. People will try to put a different label on you. Your own feelings will try to get you to identify through something contrary to truth. But we're no longer identified through our feelings. We're no longer led around or governed by our feelings the way that we were prior to going under the water. Because feelings are symptomatic. And prior, you know, when, when, when we were under, uh, when we were living out of this old self, we were governed by feeling. Everything was, we did was based on what we felt for ourselves. It's all selfish in nature. That's that fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that is a mouthful to say. The bad tree. <laughs> That's fruit from the bad tree. Selfishness. And that selfishness was led by feelings. And we talked about how sometimes, you know, you can have a dream where you're sinning or you're doing something from your past and you wake up and you feel guilty. You feel like you've just committed the sin in the dream. But what's actually happening is the enemy is trying to get you to identify through that old self. Because he's bringing those same familiar feelings. And you start to say, what did I do wrong? Where am I off? Oh no, I'm still dealing with this stuff. No, the reality is what happened is while you were asleep, the enemy took the corpse of your old self and dropped it on you. Hoping that you'll pick it up and say, that's who I am. See, our feelings are deceptive. They, they're symptomatic. They're, it's good when we're, when we're in the place of worship and we're feeling things, but we don't do things from a place of feeling. We are now new creations and feelings come and follow, but we're led and governed by faith and truth. I don't believe what the enemy says about me. I don't even believe what I feel sometimes. I'm going to believe what the Lord says about me. All right. 
So that's where we left off. I have so many notes. Lord, give me grace to cover all the right stuff. So what is a pure heart? Why is it so important? In Proverbs 4.23, I'm going to mesh together two different translations because I like the way it sounds and it, it illustrates where I'm going with it. Above everything else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. This is the primary thing. Above everything else, guard your heart. Everything you do flows from your heart. The reason it's so important is because every action that we have has a motive behind it. And God is after our motive. I asked the Lord one time, I said, God, I, I don't understand it's funny to use the word understand. I said, I don't, I don't understand the difference between knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. I, I just, you know, I, I didn't get it. You know, they were, to me, they were used interchangeably. I'm going to paraphrase in a way that makes more sense to me now. Knowledge is information. Wisdom is the application of the information. Understanding is the motivation of the application. Okay, I know, I just said a lot. Hold on. An example a word of knowledge comes. Say somebody needs to get healed. Or you, you, see, you get a word of knowledge about somebody having a knee problem, which, by the way, is there somebody in here that has a knee problem? Yeah? Okay, go ahead and stand up real quick. Okay. So that's just the information. That's knowledge. Wisdom is to pray for the sick. So if there's somebody um, nearby, just put, point to where your knee hurts. Don't squeeze the hurt knees, please. Just pray for it right now. In Jesus' name, be healed. Okay, you're good. Now, move your knees around. How do they feel? Better, worse, or same? You're good? Better? Is it done? A little better, but it's not done. Okay, keep going after it. And... A little better. Okay. Y'all can sit down and keep praying for it. We got one heal. So, okay. So I just wanted to illustrate the point. So we have the knowledge, which is there's problems with knees. We have wisdom, which is to pray for healing. And then there's understanding to know that the reason that God heals is because he loves his children and he doesn't want them in pain. Understanding is when I have the motive and the heart of God in something. And that's what we're after. And a lot of times, you know, Tracy had this, these uh, a couple of weeks in a row of talking about removing the plank from our own eye before uh, and not judging people. And it's this really powerful series and it actually led really well into this. And here's Jesus, he's giving us, this is right after that verse. He says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish. Inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. What's he talking about? He's talking about the cleansing, the purification of our hearts. That we don't judge, we don't look at people through 
uh, through external things. Tracy was also talking about how that plank is the knowledge of good and evil. We're making judgments for ourselves based on what we perceive in the natural. And Jesus rebukes them and he says, no, that's, that's not how I do it. I don't go from the outside in. I go from the inside out. Don't just look on the outside and determine if somebody's clean. You get clean from the inside. You purify your heart. Now, it's interesting that, you know, in this verse from James 4.8, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's putting, um, this is just a fun word to say, he's putting the onus on us. Onus. He's saying this is your duty. As you get closer and closer to me, you clean your hands and you purify your heart. This is your role. He has given us, empowered us, enabled us to have clean hands and a pure heart. It's also our responsibility to protect, to guard our hearts. In this ver- I mentioned this verse last week in Proverbs where the father is telling his son, um, he's warning him not to go near the path uh, that leads to the adulteress's house. It says, do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. If you allow yourself to dwell on impure thoughts, it will steer your heart. He's warning him not just to, you know, don't commit adultery. He's saying, don't look so long that your desires align with what you're looking at. We saw this same thing with David and Bathsheba. He was somewhere he wasn't supposed to be. And he's looking and he's looking. And he, in his heart, before he physically committed the act, in his heart, he committed the act of adultery. That felt like I lost some of you on that. So Jesus says, you, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's in the you say, but I say section. You say this, but I say that. You say this, but I say that. You say, do not commit adultery. I say, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. And Bill Johnson has this, um, this amazing quote, I'm sure you've heard it, where he talks about desire. Have you all heard that quote? No? Okay, well, it says desire, D-E in the word is from and sire is the father that desire is from the father that when there's a desire on our heart to pursue something that the lord is the one that puts it there but when we follow a different desire when we allow a desire towards sin it's of a different father jesus rebukes um, the israelites and, and he says You don't know who your father is. They were saying, oh, our father Abraham, our father, you know, we're holy because of their actions. He said, you don't know who your father is. You don't know where your desire is. They were in the sin of self-righteousness. And and I want to, I don't know what the right word is, highlight this this one thing. Self-righteousness, I think, is one of the biggest poisons to the heart of a believer of feeling justified in our actions by comparing ourselves to others. And the problem is that we don't repent because we feel justified. 
by comparing to somebody else. Matthew 15, 18 to 20. It's the things that proceed out of the mouth. They come from the heart. It's these that defile the man. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. Not to eat with unwashed hands. That doesn't defile the man. Jesus is saying over and over, these issues that I'm addressing are issues of the heart. That, that they, they were so locked in on obeying the law, on doing the right thing, that they were missing the heart. And remember when Jesus gets asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second one is like it, to love your neighbor. The two greatest commandments speak to love. It's the motive behind everything. And that is the foundation upon which all the law and the prophets is built, is love. He addresses the issue of the heart. The reason he's able to raise the standard of holiness from do not commit adultery to don't even look lustfully is because we're now new creations. All things are made new. We are able to walk in holiness. So I was asking the Lord, I said, Lord, I need an example. Um, for the connection between the heart and the mind. Because it's cleanse your hands, O you sinners, purify your heart, you double-minded. I want to understand this connection between heart and mind. And we see it over and over in scripture, a connection between heart and mind. And he gave me this picture of a plant. And the root system is below the ground and the petals of the plant are above the ground. And he said, the mind is like the leaves, it's like the part of the plant that's above the ground. It's exposed to the elements. And you guys might not know this. It was, it was a revelation to me when I first heard it, but not every thought that you have is your own. Not every little phrase that passes through your mind is from you. It's exposed to the elements that you can hear from the Lord. You can hear from angels. You can hear from the demonic. You can hear your own soul. It's exposed to the elements. And the reason it's important to guard our minds, to protect our minds from double-mindedness, if a plant is removed from the sunlight, if it stays in the shade, if it's in darkness, the plant dies. But if it's in the sunlight, if it's receiving enlightenment, if it's receiving light and the nutrients and staying in that place, it grows and it gets stronger and the root system goes down deeper. And then there's the root system, which is like our heart. And since I'm using a hands-free, I get to use this illustration. So this is my root system. So it's like a root system that's, that's underneath the surface. And it's meant to draw up pure waters into itself. But what happens if just one of these veins starts to draw into it poison? 
just one, just one area of the heart that starts to draw in bitterness, that starts to draw in resentment, that starts to draw in unforgiveness, it starts to poison the entire plant. Because we can't have fresh and salt water come from the same spring. It will die. At first, it starts, as we start to just, even just to harbor a little bit of resentment in our heart. First, the plant stops growing. It starts just with the vein, but it keeps, to, keeps drawing that poison up. As it stays in that place, it continues to poison the whole thing. Till now, your mind, you can't even stop thinking about this one issue. Why? That poison that's been in your heart is drawing it in, and you can't stop it. The whole plant has started to get poisoned. And we've seen this with people, and and it's true of a plant too. Have you ever just seen a plant that all of the external things look right? It's getting sunlight. It's getting the nutrients. It doesn't have any weeds around it. And yet it's still dying. Because we're looking on the surface and underneath the problem is the issue with the heart. See, we're, we're in church, and I grew up in, in a little bit more of a traditional church where everybody was always doing good. Nobody ever had any problems because it was church, and you're not supposed to have problems. And, and the reason was, again, you're looking on the outside. You're seeing this plant. We wanted everybody to see how good we really are when inside, underneath it all, we're dying. And if we don't tell somebody that we have this thing that's producing death in us, it will continue to whittle away at your life. Transparency is essential to getting rid of issues of the heart. We have to be honest with each other and we have to be honest with ourselves. We don't deny the truth of us having an issue in the heart. To just try to make things look okay. If you're having a problem, say you're having a problem. It's a lot easier to deal with an issue when somebody says they have a problem than, and this is just me talking as a pastor, than feeling like we have to have our prophetic gift like up here to really know what's going on with people. I'm good. Oh, okay. Sure you are. (laughs) It's a lot easier for us is really what I'm saying. So how do you know what's in your heart? How do you know if you have something that's, that's poisoning the plant? How do you know? See, I used to pray and y'all can take this. I, I still pray it from time to time. Lord, you know what's in my heart better than I do. Try me and test me. Discipline me and correct me to love more perfectly like you. See, because this is really what a pure heart is. In, in Deuteronomy 30, he said, it's this obscure verse of talking about the circumcision of the heart. He says, I'm going to circumcise their hearts so that they will love me purely. This is what a pure heart is. It is the pure love of God. When there's an area of our heart that isn't experiencing purity and holiness, we aren't fully loving God in that area. 
It's an area where we have to die to self, where we have to, we put off that old man. We say, that's not who I am anymore. I'm agreeing with the truth of what God says about me. Are y'all with me? Okay. God tests our hearts. Proverbs 17.3. The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. And now I get hot. I'm going to get back to this in a second, but in context, fire, fire, the Lord tests the heart. And that the way that the Lord looks at us, he doesn't look the way that people look. He doesn't qualify us the way that people qualify us. Remember what he said to, to Samuel. Samuel is, is at Jesse's house and he's looking for who he's going to anoint for the next king. And he looks at, I forget which brother it was of David, but he says, oh, he looks like a good choice. And the Lord says to him, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature. I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. One of the ways that the Lord exposes what's in our hearts, y'all are probably not going to be super excited about this, is trials. If you, one person clapping. (laughs) See, I I once had, um, I I had this really difficult time with um, a coworker. And I just kept having this hard time with this person and kept catching myself grumbling and complaining, which in case... You know, if you're wondering where your heart is, that's a clear symptom that something is wrong in your heart. We're called to do all things without grumbling and complaining. And I heard a pastor say this once, and I I believe it's true, that uh, complaining is the language of hell. It's like a real severe statement. But I agree with it, yeah. So I was, I just kept catching myself in this place of of complaining and I'd complain and then I'd repent. And sometimes this is what we have to do. We catch ourselves doing the thing we're not supposed to do. Got to repent. Forgive me for what I just did 10 minutes ago. (laughs) That's not who you made me to be. I I go right back to the place of faith of God. You made me to be a man that doesn't complain. Jesus, you didn't complain when you were at the cross. So how can I complain over having a bad coworker? I put myself back in that place of faith. So I do it again and again. And there was a while where I was looking. I even wanted to go somewhere else. But I knew that the Lord had me in this situation for a reason. That it was causing me to continue to humble myself over and over and over again. Because I knew that my heart was was getting worked on. The Lord is continuing to work out and remove the impurities of selfishness that was in my heart. And here's the other thing about trials is the Lord doesn't mind giving them to you more than once. I had a friend who, who was going through the exact same situation I was going through. And he went through it a few years before, and it actually marked my life. He um, he was having a hard time at work, having a hard time with with, uh, coworkers, just getting really frustrated and agitated. And at the time, we were in a prophetic community, 
And, and all of the words were that the Lord was calling him somewhere else, but it just wasn't the right time. He chose, the Lord let him, he chose to uproot his family, to move to this other place as he wanted to, to leave the work. He said, I'm never going to do what I did. I'm never going to do that work ever again. I'm not going to work in the secular workplace. Two years later, he has no choice but to get himself a job back doing the exact same thing. And he has coworkers. He's now in a different state. He now has coworkers that are doing the same things there that he was experiencing here. Why? Because there's something that the Lord wanted to produce in his heart in the trial to remove. And it's the Lord. You see, we've given our lives to the Lord. And sometimes we don't realize what that means. That means I'm not my own. If there's something that he wants to accomplish in my life, he's going to accomplish it. It's, oh, Lord, give me the right words. It's, it's, I, Hold on. <laughs> it's easy in a conference or in a worship set to say, God, I give you everything. And then you go back to work and you're like, oh, I'm doing this still. Or God, I'll go to the nations. This is the one that, that I identify with a lot. God, I'll go wherever you send me. Because we love the idea of just getting to go and travel and do the stuff and missions and, and live like Jesus and, you know, all these miracles and things. And then you get there and you find out that, oh, wait, I don't have um, a house of prayer that I can go to to get filled up. I don't have somewhere that I can go and, and just have a pastor talk to me and sit with me one on one. There's, there's no messages here that I can encourage myself with. Where's Richard to, to start singing so that I can get back in the anointing? <laughs> That the reality of what we've asked for is bigger than what we knew at the time. And the Lord doesn't mind leading you into those prayers. He will have you pray something before you fully know what you're praying. And then when you're in the fulfillment of that prayer, he tests your heart in it. Is this really what you wanted? See, our hearts, I'm sure there's a lot more things that come out of our hearts, but, but our hearts are the center of desire. They're the center of belief. See, we confess with our lips, but we believe with our hearts. That testing is when you find out what you really believe. When you're in the midst of it, when no one else is around, when all of the, the support system isn't there, that's when you find out what you believe. And, you know, I, I mentioned that complaining was an indicator for me of something wasn't right in my heart. Because our speech is an indication of our heart. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick, fi pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
Our speech gives indication for what's really going on in our heart. And sometimes it can be hard for us to identify what's going on in our heart. But I guarantee you, if, if you find yourself complaining a lot, there's something wrong in your heart. If you're angry a lot, there's something wrong in your heart. It's probably one of those veins that somehow connected to the dead old self. We're trying to pick up that old self again, our rights, our entitlement to be selfish, to do things for our own benefit. When Jesus laid them all down at the cross, all of them, But it's not just found in the language that we use. Last week I talked about how the religious spirit um, uses the same vocabulary as the believer. And Jesus corrects the Pharisees. He says, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So it's not just the words that we say. It's the motive behind the words that we say. And an example is, I can, I can correct somebody from a place of condemnation and wanting to feel justified in myself and it be the wrong thing to do, or I can correct somebody because I love them and it'd be the right thing to do, and the language for both can be the same. You with me? So what does a pure heart look like? When obedience becomes the natural byproduct of relationship. See, a servant knows his master's will and a son knows his father's heart. Where we go from being focused on being obedient, not because being obedient is bad, but remember when Jesus says to the disciples, he says, no longer do I call you slaves, but now I call you friends. Why? They had gone from knowing what to do to knowing the person where we now know his heart, where obedience is easy and natural. If the Israelites had got this in the Old Testament, they wouldn't have had so many failures. If they had known that the primary commandment is to love God first and foremost, if they stayed in that place of loving God above everything else, they never would have fallen time and time and time again. Everything is founded on that place of a pure love of God. And it also, he'll take us from, um, from this, this teacher-student revelation into father-son. There's times where God will withhold information from you. And he's withholding information not because he's a bad teacher. He's having you draw closer because he doesn't want to just give you the information. He wants you to know his heart behind it. He's drawing you closer. I don't just want you to know the answer to the question. I want you to know why that's my answer. I don't just want you to have knowledge. I want you to have understanding. I want you to know my heart. The pure in heart will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. I had this... um, this experience one time in, in Walmart, for those of you that know my testimony, I had seven days of, of hearing the Lord as clearly as a person and, and 
went to heaven and I'm having all these experiences and I went from having no experiences and not really knowing the reality of God to now I have no denying it. Um, and I'm in Walmart and we're, we're praying people and or praying for people and, and it's like, you know, heaven is opening up and all we have to do is say, hey, can I pray for you? And heaven opens up and people are getting healed and they're crying. We're having all these, the glory is just becoming more and more manifest. And as I'm walking out, it's like something opened up in me and I could see, I, I don't know how to describe this other than I could, I could see, I could feel the love of God for every person. And I can't, I honestly, I don't know, I don't have a scripture for this, but I, I know because of that experience that he loves every person the same. His favor might be different, but he loves every person the same. And I could see Jesus on the inside of people. That they were made for this image. And some of them, the, the light of Jesus inside of them was a little brighter than others. But they all had this reality inside of them because they were made for the image. They were made to look like Jesus, to walk like Jesus. How do we get a pure heart? It's funny um, how the Lord will use impure motives still to accomplish his purposes. The first time I ever entered a, um, a, it was a charismatic Methodist church. The reason I went to that church was because there was a cute girl that was there. And then after I was there for a while, I was like, oh, she's not that cute. The Lord used an impure motive. <laughs> he used an impure motive to get me in there. And then I stayed as I was there, and I was probably 16 at the time, and I stayed. And the Lord will use impure motives. He will use us before we're ready. Tracy likes to say, um, uh, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. It's a similar principle. That as we go, he corrects our heart. He corrects the motives. And this is what, what I experienced in evangelism, the, or what we call evangelism. The reason I would go out to public and just pray for people wasn't because um, I had God's heart for people. It was because I saw miracles, and I really wanted to see more miracles. <laughs> I liked miracles. And I wanted to know that, when I, that what I thought was the voice of God was the voice of God. So I was going out to the mall, and I would test it and say, okay, God, speak to me for, for a person. But what I found was that my desire to see miracles, the Lord, over the years, corrected my heart. And I can't point to a certain point in time where it was like, oh, that was when it happened. But I know that he did. And I remember there was just kind of a moment of realization when I was standing in front of somebody and was prophesying over them, and I knew that I cared about this person where I loved this person, that the reason I was going out had changed, that it became less about, about did they pray the prayer or did I prophesy accurately or did they get healed, but it was, did I love people? See, the Lord will correct us in the process. If, and an example is in Matthew, and I'm going to, paraphrase this terribly, forgive me because I didn't plan on using the scripture, but um, 
Jesus sends out the disciple two by two. They go out and they see all these miracles and they come back and they're like, oh, the demons responded in your name. And, and you know, people are getting healed and they're sharing the, these miracles and these testimonies with the Lord. Then later in the same chapter, Jesus sends them into a city of Samaria. They say, they get rejected and they say, do you want us to call down fire on them? And Jesus says, you don't know what spirit you're of. He empowered them before their motives were in the right place. He empowered them to perform the miraculous, and they wanted to burn a city. (laughs) The prodigal son. The reason he comes home isn't because he suddenly remembers the love of his father. He comes home because he's eating with pigs, and he said, I ate better over there. I want to eat better. His motive was not, oh, I've been you know, so terrible. His motives weren't pure, but he turned back, and the father, in his amazing, astounding love, went running to his son, who still didn't understand the father's love. He brings us into the house. He demonstrates his love to us over and over and over that our hearts start to change. The reason that we love is because he loved us first. His love is so powerful that it will overcome every coldness of heart, every wicked thing in our hearts till we look more like him. You can't help but look at the love of God and just say, I want to be more like that. When you look at Jesus, it's like, I just want to be more like him. So how we get a pure heart? We repent. And the same way that that last week I talked about, we repent, we turn away. When, When another motive is exposed in our heart, we repent and turn away from it. We don't identify through it. We say, Jesus, please forgive me for it. I pray your blood, which cries out a better testimony than that of Abel's. I pray for your blood to wash it and forgive me and have mercy. That's not who you created me to be. Because it's by faith that our hearts get purified. This is Acts 15, 8 through 9. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us also. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. When I say that, you know, we agree, we we set aside whatever we feel, um, we set aside that sin, we fail to identify through it, and we identify through the truth. What we're doing is we're, we're by faith agreeing with what he says about us. We are encouraging our hearts in faith, that our hearts are cleansed by faith. And there is, there is one other way that I know of, and this is um, a little bit different and a little harder to prove scripturally, but if you, we ask for correction, we ask for, for him to father us, to expose those things in our hearts, And we ask for fire. See, the crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, the Lord tests the heart. It's a fire. The testing of the heart is a fire. There is a flame on your heart. 
that is directly correspondent to your passion for the Lord. And we ask for more of that fire because what fire does is it burns away impurities. That's why we have the crucible. That's why we have the furnace. It removes the impurities. You see, Peter, who was still operating in that old self, in that old nature, when Jesus is being crucified, he denies him three times because he's trying to protect himself. He's concerned for himself. He's not thinking about what God wants. He's thinking about protecting himself. And then the same people that he runs away from after the Holy Spirit falls in fire and in power. He goes in front of those same people and speaks with boldness. Why? There's a fire. His heart has been changed. He no longer is thinking about that old self. He's no longer thinking for himself. His passion, his desire is for the Lord. That there's a baptism of fire that has come, that he's been transformed. And I honestly, I don't fully understand the theology of of, um, whether there's, you know, three baptisms or one baptism or I, I don't really try to figure it out. (laughs) I just know that I like it when his fire comes because everything that doesn't belong gets removed. So can I get the uh, altar team to come up? And if you can all stand, I'm going to pray for us. God, we need more of your fire. We need more of your fire. Not just to have it for the sake of having it. We want to be like a candle that you stand up to fill the whole room with light. A flame. God, I ask for everyone in this room to experience a baptism of fire. God, I ask you to release your fire in this room even now. Father, especially on those who've been dry, who've been dry in their hearts, because the dry stuff will burn well. God, I pray that you would set them on fire. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. God, I pray that not one person would leave this room unchanged today. We want to look more like you, Jesus. We want to walk the same way that you walked. In the fullness of power motivated by love. We want pure hearts and a clean hand. God, we want everything that we do to be motivated by love in the same way as yours is. Father, just start to touch hearts in the room right now. Right now. Just take a second. Just start to connect with the Lord. Even ask him, God, I want more of your fire. God, I want more of your fire. Don't be quiet. Be, God, I want more. If you're hungry, if you're hungry, if there's a desperation in your heart to love more, 
Ask him for it. God, we want more of your fire. We want to love like you love. Father, I just ask for grace in this room right now to love their enemies. Grace to love their enemies. God, give them eyes to see their enemies in the way that you see them. Give us eyes to see with love. Give us eyes to see the way that we were all made to walk in your image and in your likeness. Father, release it more, 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 more of your fire, more of your fire, more of your fire. Come on, cry out to God. Just take a second. Take a second. Father, I want more of you at any cost, at any cost. Father, I speak to every sleeping place. Every sleeping place in the hearts of these people. And I just say, awaken in the name of Jesus. Awaken in the name of Jesus. Awaken in the name of Jesus. Come alive to the love of Christ. More, Lord. More. 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 Just start to release your fire in the room, God. Start to release your fire in the room, God. More, Father, more of you. We want to love purely. Give us a pure heart that we can see you. Give us a pure heart that we can see you. Give us a pure heart that we can see you. Give us your motive, God, of love. Give us your motive of love, that every action would come from a place of love. I just see angels walking up and down the room. I want to encourage you, keep, keep your eyes closed. I see angels walking up and down with, with um, what are those, sensors. God, purify our hearts. Purify our hearts, God. We want clean hands and a pure heart. We want to see you, God. We want to draw closer to you, God. We give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. In your name, amen. I want to encourage you, if you need prayer, if you need a prophetic word, if you need healing for something, to come up for prayer. But also, if that desire, that desire to have a pure heart, if you want your heart to be more on fire for Jesus, I want to encourage you to come up for prayer.